Almost 20 years ago, TSIA emerged from an organization known as the SSPA, the Software Support Professionals Association. A lot has changed in the world of technical support over the past 20 years. And today, I will be joined by TSIA Distinguished Researcher Val Galowski, who is going to share insights on the state of technology support models as we enter the new year. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And we're going to get this insight engine humming with Val. Val, welcome to Tectonic. I think this is your first visit, right? Is this the first time you... First time. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, What, what do they say, Thomas? Yeah, yeah. Long, long time listener, first time guest, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll just assume that you listen to every episode sometimes four or five times. Okay. We're just going to go with that. Yeah. So um, let's start here. Can you overview your responsibilities at TSI for the audience? Sure. I've been at TSIA for over 10 years now, and I'm currently the VP of research and advisory in the field service, support service, and industrial equipment practice areas. And between myself and my team, we have an incredible vantage point to see what's happening in the industry. You know, we do over 600 inquiries per year, 270 organizational benchmarks in the last 18 months, hundreds of workshops. And with this unbelievable data source, you know, we're able to develop frameworks, uh, publish research insights, provide advisory services that help members address some really complex issues that they're facing. So that's uh, kind of in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, what you do for a living speaks volumes for not only your, your team, but really the platform of TSIA. I mean, that's what we do is look across lots of companies and look for the patterns. And it does give you a killer advantage point to understand what is going on with support right now. And you just finished writing your annual state of support services paper, which will be coming out soon. And I was going through that content. And I know one of your, your observations is that the industry is experiencing this sort of tale of two cities. So what are you seeing there? What does that mean? Well, you know, every data of paper, we start with the review of 2023. And all I could think of was Dickens' opening paragraph, you know, mm -hmm. a tale of two cities. Best of times, worst of times, lightness, darkness. You go through it all because it seemed that we were all living and working in sometimes two completely different worlds at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at the start of 2023, we had the CEOs of the two largest financial institutions uh, in the United States with diverging perspectives, right? Jamie Dimon started off, uh, you know, from the CEO from JP Morgan. He was forecasting a hurricane. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, my old boss, Brian Moynihan at Bank of America, he was like, well, the consumer health is really strong. Then we had historic layoffs in the tech sector, totaling 300,000 in the first five months. And at the same time, U.S. unemployment remained low, and there were approximately two job openings for every one unemployed person. Mm -hmm. We would do polling. We'd see a bifurcation of active results that people were taking in response to the economy. We had a percentage of companies that were doing layoffs all throughout the year. But we also had a percentage of companies that were increasing their workforce. So as we started looking at all the things that were happening, it seemed that no matter your prediction or your own experiences, you could point to somebody in the industry that was experiencing the exact opposite. Yeah. And that kind of had an impact on the wide range of inquiries and engagements we had with our members throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I would you know, make a couple observations. I, I think, and as you know, every quarter we look at the industry data for the TNS 50, for the Cloud 40. And these past two years have been very strange in tech in the sense that 
companies are still growing. It's not like they're falling off the cliff and you know shrinking. I mean, in general, you know, cloud companies were still growing about 14%. Traditional tech companies were still growing about 7% on average. Like you say, it seems like there was goodness in the economy. And yet at the same time last year, and I see this carrying over to this year, there is still tons of caution with these tech companies. And I know you were doing some survey work around hiring. And we all know that there was a lot of layoffs last year. And there's a lot of talk about, well, there was this big you know, overhang from the pandemic hiring and we got to trim our sales. But still, I mean, so, so last year there was layoffs and not a lot of hiring, you know, there's a lot of caution. And you still see that kind of going through. But then also to your point, there are still some companies who are like, no, 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 I'm hiring. <laughs> I'm growing, right? So it's, it is really an incredibly mixed bag, but one that does have an overhang of caution. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even in those surveys, I, I asked that same question for every webinar that I did throughout 23, mm-hmm. right? There's a big chunk in the middle, right? Where 50% were either saying that we're eliminating job wrecks. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not hiring. We're not firing, yeah. but we're just going to eliminate all open recs. Let's just we got our team on the court. Yeah. Right. And then you had another portion that said no change. Steady as she goes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was about 40 to 50 percent consistently throughout the year. So you could see that caution yeah. where it's like, no, I, I'm not really getting rid of people right now laying off. And I don't really feel comfortable about the future to start hiring. So it's yeah. kind of like this. Let's kind of hold here and was pretty consistent, but you're right. I mean, we're kind of all over. And so we go from an inquiry where people are saying, how do I handle this layoff and meet performance expectations? And then other people are saying, where do I find people? I can't find enough people, you know? So it was definitely a tale of two cities last year. Yeah. And I really do see that environment continuing into this calendar year. And so let's start at a high level. What are the top challenges that you see are facing support organizations as they enter 2024. Just a quick follow on what we were just talking about, right? Scaling service delivery is the one big issue, right? It didn't matter whether or not you were doing layoffs or hiring or whatever. Every organization that we talked to last year, without exception, was looking for ways to scale their operation. More efficiently, I assume. When you say scale, like how do I scale it with either, you know, same headcount, less headcount, do it more efficiently, effectively? Oh, yeah, scaling. Right. Yeah. And support being low cost provider never goes out of style. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just something that is always top of mind. And then you throw in the AI hype that we saw at the beginning of the year and throughout the year, really, you know, it kind of raised the stakes because everybody was saying, man, this is going to help us a lot as we try to scale. But as we dug into it and we started working with our members, you know, they quickly found that, man, to take advantage of AI, We've got a couple of problems here. We, we don't have knowledge content to feed the AI and the machine learning. We're not generating enough product telemetry to drive and understand adoption and where we have gaps and what we have to do. They didn't have a functioning self-service portal. So it's one thing to say, I don't want my people to handle that case, but, but where are they going to get mm-hmm. that case resolved? And I still think that case management was an issue, right? So scaling, getting more productive in support for service delivery was one big topic. And then the second big topic is monetizing support. We've been talking about the shift to annual recurring revenue for a a number Mm -hmm. of years, right? And even though support is a big role, what we started working with a lot of members last year was that support has to be viewed as a strategic differentiator, Mm -hmm. right? And driving growth for the company because 
you know, I often say you cannot upsell, cross-sell, or renew a dissatisfied customer, right? And, and who's in charge of that? Support. And so in order to make that happen, you know, you have to drive organizational alignment and you have to be able to invest to make that engine of growth work and support. You need product telemetry to drive adoption, to actually help people get the most out of your product. And then you need support offers that are really aligned to what the customer wants, right? We Customers want resolution time. Traditionally, you know, support's always focused on response. Like, you can't hold me responsible for how fast we fix mm-hmm. problems. Just, just hold me responsible for how quickly I pick mm-hmm. up the phone. Customer says, thanks, but no thanks. I want resolution. So scaling, service delivery, and monetizing support were the two big topics coming into this year. Yeah. And so let's click into those. And when I listened to you on the first part about scaling and you said, well, you know, we have organizations and obviously not all of them, right? But there are support organizations that don't have an optimal digital self-service experience yet. They don't have great product telemetry to help them drive, you know, tools and analytics. And so my reaction to that is that in this environment that is going to rapidly evolve as it relates to AI, what became sort of a, hey, it's a bummer we don't have these things, now becomes detrimental. Oh, for sure. Detrimental in terms of your ability to scale and compete from a cost perspective, right? And so, you know, I have a lot of nervousness for technology companies who have not been investing in the kind of things that have been really on the table for quite a while, right? Better knowledge management, better self-service, better telemetry, better analytics, you know, to resolve things proactively. Those aren't bleeding edge new concepts, but now they're going to be on steroids, right? With these new wave of tools. And so it's a little scary out there. And we're going to come back to the AI conversation for sure, because I want to click into that. You've got some, I think, really helpful both data and thinking on that. But let's jump to the monetizing piece of it. So, you know, we've been on the square for a long time. We, We don't believe you should be giving all of your support away. There's premium motions there. In SaaS models, it's hard to have a profitable SaaS model if you're just throwing all that support for free. But give the audience some baseline. Roughly, what percentage of revenue do you see both hardware and software companies getting from support You know, when they start to successfully monetize support? Okay. Hardware companies, they're approximately about 11% of company revenue coming from support and maintenance. And that's because 60 to 70% of the revenue is coming from product, the old CapEx product license mm-hmm. sales. So about 11% of that is tied to supporting that that big gear, right? Software companies, a little bit higher at about 14% of company revenue. But you could, you know, if, if your biggest gear is service, support and maintenance can go all the way up to 40% of company revenue, you yeah. know? So, I mean, it's pretty substantial in terms of contribution to the company top line. Now, I think what, what is really interesting is that SaaS companies generate less than 3% of company revenue from support. I mean, to me, that's crazy in terms of you talked about bundling support. Basic support is now part of that monthly subscription, and that's a problem. I call that the four-letter word that begins with F that should never be spoken, which is free. I know you're getting a little nervous, Thomas, but yeah, the, the, the F word that I'm talking about is free. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you and I have had this conversation for ages now as it relates to the SaaS business models and you know everything being for free. And the analogy that we've used for years is, you know, there was a day when you could buy a PC 
and there was this, what, three-year warranty and all the services were free right. and it was, you just called and they fixed stuff because, you know, they didn't charge you for it because it made enough money on that, you know, on that core piece of hardware that they're like, yeah, that's, that's just part of the, but then is there were pricing pressure, et cetera. There was a point where they're like, Hey, we can't just give that away for free. We got to charge for that. That has to be a business. And they made it a business years and years and years ago. Right. And now here we are in 2024. And the SaaS companies are going, oh, sh- shit, maybe I can't give all this stuff away for free. Right, right. You know, in my COGS, I'm under immense pressure to get better gross margins. And so some of this stuff, I've got to start telling the customer that's a premium motion. And I've got to be articulate a value proposition. And I got to charge for it. It's like this lesson is the oldest time in tech, but we're just relearning it for some companies. Yeah, it didn't stick. Right. You know, because I think <laughs> yeah. one, one of the, the biggest issues that I think are hindering companies from doing this is the business model, right? Yeah. You know, we we always kind of joke around a little bit with members that are having trouble monetizing. And mm-hmm. when we talk about it, it's like their salespeople are always, you know, a little hesitant. They never want a service discussion to get in the way of a good product sale. <laughs> you know, right. it's uh, like, right, no, no, exactly. I'm getting paid to move gear for hardware companies yep. and I'm getting paid to get more subscriptions. So the lesson that hasn't been learned is that both hardware companies with their warranty and Mm -hmm. subscription companies with their everything included in the base uh, subscription, that's the big issue that people are kind of struggling with. It's like, well, you know, wait a minute. Well, let's kind of talk about what should be the purpose of warranty. What should be the purpose of standard support, which is I warrant that what I sold you will work. And if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it. But does that mean you get application support? Does that mean you get value-added services? Does that mean you get 24-7 support? Does, I mean, does that mean you get all those premium-type things for free? And I, I mm-hmm. think the answer has got to be no on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we think about the things that hinder you know, anybody who's listening here and says, gosh, we do a really poor job of monetizing any support motions. There are you know, three things I see, and, and I'd be curious if there's anything else you see with members. So if a company is not doing a good job of monetizing support, first and foremost, is probably because nobody has defined the value conversation of what the customer should be paying for. So that's got to be job one, yep. right? You got to be saying, hey, this is what is, like you just said, what's included, what's not. If nobody's doing that, whether it's somebody in marketing or wherever, that's a problem. The, no, number two, you were just on this. Sales has basically got to be able to articulate a value proposition. They can't walk away from that. They can't just say, hey, I don't want to have that conversation. It's slowing me down. The company has to realize that if we don't do this, it's a problem financially. And I think the third reason, you know, I spent a lot of time with these executive teams and specifically with CFOs at these SaaS companies. And historically, they've said, look, services is a noise conversation for me. It's just a lot of labor. And like you said, it's not our product deals down. I just want more logos. I want more subscriptions. I just want to get this big technology gear going. And it's dilutive to my business model. And I've said it a million times on this podcast, that's the wrong thinking. And, and you, you and I did some analysis here. It came out and basically said, look, if you're a SaaS company and you're not, at least 10% of your revenue isn't coming from a combination of premium support and premium CS, it's going to be wicked hard for you to make that business model profitable. Right. That's like the table stakes. And that light bulb, I think, is starting to go off, right? So, so again, you got to articulate the value. You've got to, your salespeople have to be committed to selling it. And your CFO, your executive team has to understand the economic value of it to the business model, right? Those things aren't there super hard to monetize. 
anything else that you see in the wild there when you see companies tripping up on this? Yeah, and it's kind of a little bit of a take in support of you know what we what we just talked about. And seventy percent of all support organizations are treated as a cost center, right? And so when you think about it less as an operational model and think about it more as what does that mean when you're a cost center? Well, what it means is by definition you do not contribute to the top line and your cost to be minimized or eliminated. When you have that attitude of here's a cost to be eliminated and doesn't really help on the top line, you're in trouble, right? I'm going to treat you very differently, right? And the truth of the matter is I think that support can be that engine of growth, right? You Mm -hmm. have to earn the right to cross-sell and upsell. You have to do your best to minimize the reasons to not renew or to downsell. And, you know, the fact of the matter is support, and especially in a SaaS world, their responsibility is to prop up a minimum viable product that never becomes viable. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute here. You know, I mean, we're either an engine of growth or, you know, we're a cost to be eliminated, but we didn't create any one of those cases, right? You know, that's why to me, it's less about establishing a P&L, but when it's bundled into that monthly subscription and you're treated as a cost center, there's a lot of attitude that has to go on in terms of what role does support yeah. really play? And I think it's ARR and how we can make that work is is a pretty big contributing factor to that. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I'm sure there's some people who are listening who are like, look, I'm not on the sales side. I'm not on the revenue side of this whole support thing. I'm really on the you know, delivery side of the operational side of it. And there's a lot going on there. And, you know, like you mentioned, everybody is trying to figure out how to scale more effectively. I think AI is going to be a player here. There's just no doubt about it. And you have this framework I love that talks about AI base campers and AI mountaineers. So describe these two types of support organizations that that you see. Yeah. First, just to talk about that AI capabilities landscape paper that we published, right? We kind of adapted this idea from uh, Hans uh, Morovec on the landscape of human competence. And I, and I love that, that visual, right? Where he, he kind of positioned technological advancements as water slowly flooding the landscape. And 50 years ago, it started to drown out the lowlands, driving out human calculators, record-keeping clerks and everybody else, but it left a lot of people dry. And so the idea is today, the floods kind of reaching those foothills and the base camps that we have on those foothills are starting to think about, hey, maybe we, we should be retreating now. And you know, maybe mm-hmm. we should start preparing to scale these high mountain peaks that you know, in a sense can be immune to that technological flood. So building on that concept and on that landscape, base campers, are those people that still operate in the lowlands of that AI landscape. And when we did some analysis, we found that 20% of their install base is connected and providing telemetry. That seemed to be a really great predictor of what it meant to be defined as a base camper. Now, think about what that means, right? When you have so little of your install base under contract, connected, and providing telemetry, we found that 27% of them have no descriptive data analytics use cases. Like we can't even tell you how people are using our product, let alone driving adoption and all this other stuff. A third had no predictive data use cases, meaning I didn't get enough data to really get an understanding that I can predict 
failure or predict what the next best offer should be and things of that nature. And 60% have no prescriptive data analytics use cases, which is, you know, the holy grail, you know, to be proactive. So that kind of defines the base camper. Mountaineers, on the other hand, they can scale higher, more difficult terrain, like, you know, we, we showed in the capabilities landscape. And the reason they can do that is that they're getting telemetry from over 50% of their install base under contract, mm -hmm. right? So it's 50% and up. And as a result, those companies, right, those mountaineers, 100% of them have descriptive analytics. Mm -hmm. They're doing something, things like performance data, usage patterns, error logs, right? 86% of those SaaS mountaineers have predictive use cases like, hey, I know what's going on with this code coming in and I get the issue and I can develop a predictive solution in terms of I need a firmware update, I need patches, or I need this, right? Just because of the way it presented itself. And then 57% have enough data to do prescriptive things like, hey, I, I can optimize my resources and I can do self-healing, which is kind of like the holy grail. I can, I can fix the problem before it occurs. So yep. the idea of base camp and mountaineers is really kind of built off of the idea of, am I ready to scale the mountain peaks? And, I, and it starts with telemetry. Do I know what's happening with my product in the wild? So again, just roughly give folks a sense when you look across all the support organizations you interact with, what percentage of them would you say, hey, they really are mountaineers, that they're in that category, just roughly? Roughly. For SaaS software companies coming from the quick poll that we just did on this particular topic, about 30, 32% are you know, mountaineers in SaaS, right? Where they've got yeah. very good data analytics coming in. Now, here's something that's going to kind of shock you a little bit. Hardware companies, 44% of hardware companies are mountaineers, higher than software. Mm, I mean, kind of, yeah. it, isn't, that, isn't that kind of crazy that, you know, you would have a hardware company that's got on-prem equipment, has to get approval to connect, you know, has to get the mm -hmm. product to phone home and to do all that work. And they have a bigger percentage of mountaineers in there. And uh, as opposed to SaaS and software companies that start in the cloud, start with this uh, ability to deliver software and to monitor, right? So it's really interesting because I didn't know that breakdown. So that's, that's new data to me, which I think it's super fascinating. But let's click into it. And why would we see this, right? Why would we see that hardware companies that have a steeper hill to climb to get connected there's a higher percentage of those companies that are actually scaling this AI mountain, okay? Yeah. So my perspective on that would be the fact that hardware companies, I just wrote up this AI case study with Dell that you put me on to some of the interesting things they're doing with AI on support and et cetera, is they have, have already had for years and years huge incentive to be using telemetry to prevent either deploying people or parts. Right, because there's a lot of cost there, right? So they've been highly financially motivated to create connectivity and leverage that connectivity. SaaS companies, on the other hand, and you know, in one of our books, we wrote about the data piling up in the corner of the floor. We said, look, all these SaaS companies are connected. To your point, they have this God-given right or, or, or capability, it's right? Advantage. It's there. The, the, the customer's on my platform. I know exactly what they're doing. And I can't tell you how many SaaS companies I talk to and they go, well, the product people don't really prioritize the kind of telemetry we need for adoption or support. 
they're not really, you know, it's not the use case they're focused on. Our data is like really messy or whatever. So even though they are well positioned to climb the mountain, they have not been as financially motivated. And so that's why, you know, that, that light bulb's starting to go off. So I'll put a second thing on the table, but does that make, does that track with you in terms of why you, you those gaps Yeah, I, exist? I think for hardware companies, I mean, it's, it's a big motivation and it's harder. And so once you commit yeah. to that, you're going to do it and you're going to do it well. You got to yeah. think about it. Whereas I think a, a lot of SaaS companies, like you said, they've got that ability and they're just not executing on it. You know, I mean, right. not leveraging <laughs> it. every day they haven't invested in it. Yeah. And, and every day, Tom, it's like, yeah. I remember going back to one of your conference keynotes, there was a picture of effective adoption and, and not so effective adoption. Right. And so all right. I can think of is, you know, you got effective <laughs> adoption with Carl Lewis, right? You know, I mean, yeah, right, all right. the gold medals, he's, he's been given some gifts from the gods and he is excelling, right? And then every day, the reason I would think of this is that every day there's the same guy that I see walking down our street. He walks every day, he walks like four miles every day. And as he's walking, he's smoking a cigar. And I'm like going, (laughs) (laughs) so here's a guy. He's kind of defeating the purpose there. He's trying, he's doing, but you know. Right, right, right. Anyways, so I I think that's part of it too. You know, it's like, yeah, we get it. We can do that anytime. We can snap and we'll make it work. But I just think they haven't really thought about it. And they're still kind of geared on pushing features, selling subscriptions without thinking about what's the big picture here, which is to continually drive ARR. Yeah, so that is really you know fascinating and insightful data you have on again the mountaineers versus the base campers. The second thing I'd put on the table about that though is we have this framework just really looking at tech companies and what are the attributes of companies that are going to be better positioned or well positioned to leverage AI versus those that are not. And the one thing I will say about SaaS companies versus hardware companies, if you're a SaaS company, you do have a natural advantage here sure. because the customers on your platform. And if you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't been leveraging that, but I'm pretty well positioned. I could start to do that. And AI, as you know, needs data. <laughs> That's what feeds it. If you are a hardware company, and you know, we do have member companies like this. There's a lot of companies out there that say, look, gosh, I've got all this stuff deployed. It's completely disconnected. I don't know what the hell's going on with it. We, we've, you know, we just have never had that capability that is going to become a severe disadvantage. And they are going to have a steeper hill to climb to just get that equipment connected to start getting the telemetry they need to feed the engine. So it's it's going to be interesting how it, you know, how it plays out here. So, you know, let me ask you this question. So if, if somebody's listening, you're a support organization and you're saying, look, I, I want to become an app mountaineer, right? I want to start scaling that mountain. I want to start taking advantage of these next generation AI capabilities. W- what would you coach them to do first? Yeah, it, you know, and I just continue to play on that concept, right? What you can't do is roll out of bed tomorrow and climb Everest. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah, you're yeah, in a world right. of hurt, yeah. right? Yeah, you're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> you, you, you have to train, right? You have to get the right gear and you need to get a guide, mm-hmm. right? So, I, I mean, in the, in the paper, I talked about that. TSIA can be your Sherpa, you know? I mean, so those things you have to look at. And when you look specifically at support, like you said, you, you need to really dig into your data and content strategy. You know, I often say that the best time to do your knowledge management program was five years ago. The second Mm -hmm. best time to do it is today, right? So let's start getting a knowledge strategy. 
let's start giving feedback to the product team, you know, to talk about what's really happening here. And these are the things that we need to fix. And the more telemetry we have, the better we'll be. So there's that product support interplay. Handshake. And then there's the self-service portal. So this is another, to me, astonishing stat from our benchmark, right? You know, like when you have tiers of support, right? You have tier one, tier two, tier three, and the the higher you go in the tiers, the more complex the problem and everything. And that's kind of like escalation management. SaaS companies typically operate with three tiers of support, way more than hardware companies who have collapsed their support to try to handle everything, you know, within one level. We don't want to escalate. We want to take care of this stuff, right? And I think part of it is because you know, SaaS companies are so focused on their product and platform that they forget to make the product serviceable and they forget to mm-hmm. focus on serviceability in terms of creating a self-service portal. And so mm-hmm. the, the way they do it, they throw people at it. I'll, I'll throw some lower skilled people on my tier one support, a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And so we're going to solve the easy things with lower cost labor and we'll have more skilled people for higher cost labor. When in reality, they got to start thinking about hey, if I invest in a good self-service portal and I look at a lot of those simpler questions that can and should be answered via self-service, I need a portal. I need a place where I can solve that. So, you know, everybody always asks for one thing and I can't give you one thing, you know, but there's, there's a couple things that you need to do. And I think even pragmatically, if you're really early in the journey and even going into AI, Start thinking about it, not in terms of like eliminating all of support or changing everything that you do. Start first with things like there are going to be some tasks that, like I said, can and need to be automated, right? You, you just got to look at those. Let's, let's take a peek at what we do today that can and need to be automated. Let's look at some things that can be augmented with AI or machine learning so that I can answer the question faster or so that I can know what we know internally by presenting this data to me while I'm on a case. And then there are tasks that at the end of the day can only be done by humans, right? So if you can break down your tasks in your organization into those three things, you can start to make that plan in terms of Mm -hmm. where can AI help? Where can it augment? Where do I I have to stick with people? And then whatever you're doing, you end up doing with purpose. Yeah. You know, I, I was just recording an, an episode with the head of education services at OpenText, Julian, who did one of the case studies with us on how her organization, ES, is leveraging AI. And it's a mind-blowing case study in terms of how big of an impact it's had on their productivity and all kind of stuff. But to echo what you just said, you know, she said, you know, a key success tactic here for how you're applying AI is you really do want to have that roadmap. Like you just said, like, let's look at the landscape. Where do we see the first opportunities? Let's have a plan. It's not just about like, hey, I'm going to pilot a kind of cool tool and see who uses it, who likes it. You really should be able to put a roadmap in play of what's going to be achievable and start driving to that roadmap. And I think that that is really good advice here on this. The other thing, you know, as I listen to you, this issue of the data and you know this from our last conference, so many of our member companies, so many technology companies, they will tell us, you know, behind closed doors, our data is a mess. We don't have data or, you know, if we do have it, it's just so noisy. 
But it's now to the point where that cannot be an excuse anymore. No, you got to get through it. You just can't sit there and shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's just crap data and it is what it is. So, oh, well, it's just like, well, you know, which is going to lead to my next question. It's not going to be an oh, well, because where we are talking about tectonic shifts in how the organizations are going to run in tech. And I want to end with this last question for you. It's, it's kind of a prickly one. I'm working with the research team on a paper that leads with this question. How long before AI takes out 25% of the labor in tech? That's probably not in the next year. It's probably not seven years away, right? It's probably somewhere in between those bumpers. And that's what I think every leader in professional and tech has to be thinking about. So let's look to support, right? You know, when do support organizations, from your perspective, start operating with, you know, at least 25% less headcount than they do today because they're able to take advantage of the next generation of technologies here? That, that is a prickly question. And it's a tough one, right? You know, because, yeah. you know, from a business perspective, the opportunity is there. And the AI capabilities to to pull it off, I mean, they're getting better every single day. I, I kind of threw this number out there before, but, you know, in our benchmark, we look at the cases that are coming in and we say, what are the, what's, what's the root cause of that case? Or, you know, what's, what's the incident causal? 36%, Thomas, 36% of those cases handled by support are how-to questions. How do I use this product I just bought from you. How do I, you know, turn it on? How do I turn it off? How do, mm-hmm. how do I do these things? Those are prime candidates for self-service, prime candidates for AI-generated responses. So 36, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 25 is rough math, 67% of that number, right? And uh, so, so the opportunity is, is there to do that. You know, it's not like it, it's unachievable or can't happen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, right? History tells me that that you know we and we've got uh, some stats on this too. That companies are so slow to marshal resources to to make this happen. You know, we we mm-hmm. created a, a data analytics framework a few years ago, and and I, I I've asked you know survey questions on you know where are you in terms of you know do you have the customer data handshake? Do you have descriptive data and self-service and predictive and, you know, prescriptive insights, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we track progress along that framework. Three and a half years ago, I asked that question at a, at a conference. And, you know, yeah. in November, we just asked the same question again, polling. And guess what? No change. Three and a half years of talk about this and wow. the need and everything else in terms of developing data analytics capabilities, I mean, you would think you would think that we would yeah, have made some, yeah. you know, significant progress. Yeah. Then you would you would be wrong, right? So yeah. I know you're yeah. asking for a prediction, and I'm not I'm not going to shy away from it. You know, I'm, I'm not shuffling my feet yeah. here, but I'm I'm not I'm not <laughs> bullish. I'm not bullish on the industry's ability to take 25% out uh, in less than three to four years. They're going to make progress, but when you think about what it's going to take. And, you know, like I said, I, I just haven't seen it yet. Right. So I, I know the opportunity is there. You got to come to grips with your business model. Stop flinging CapEx, you know, uh, old, old CapEx business models. Stop bundling everything into the subscription. 
you need to align at the corporate level in terms of how do we gear all of our resources to drive in ARR to be that engine of growth? Where's the best place to put investment to make sure we enable that? And I, I think the other piece is that people are so excited about AI. You know, I mean, you you kind of you know hinted at this earlier, but if you're going to start mountaineering without training, people are going to die on the track, man. You're going to yeah. be on the side of the trail. And uh, like I said, I think the capability is there and there's a need. They have to do it and everything else. I just haven't seen it over the last three to four years. And so without that big push, I, I just don't see it happening in the next three to four years. Now, that's a cynical view. And I, some people will, but I, but I think... No, no, no. No, it's, no, it's not cynical. It's... Yeah, I don't think cynical is the right word. I mean, this is a really good discussion, right? Because I believe, and again, this paper that that we're working on trying to frame this in for people, right? Like how fast is it going to move? Is, you know, AI is a black box right now in, in terms of, I would say, on three parameters. Number one, how long before AI capabilities truly start massively disrupting you know, our, our head counts, you know, our profiles. Again, is that two years? Is that four years? So nobody knows that. What are the killer AI use cases that are really going to dramatically change, you know, how our, our workflows? There's people are still figuring out that. And the third thing that people are still figuring out is what are the big friction points? You know, like you say, I, I can't go climb that mountain and kill myself. So I got to, how do I train? How do I, you know, so, so that's what everybody's figuring out. Right, and you're putting very fair observations on the table. We say, look, Thomas, I've looked at how we've looked at other technologies historically. I look at how fast we we move. There's always this gap between sort of the the hype and the potential versus how fast people really adopt them, right? And I think that's very fair observation. The one thing I do believe is going to be a little different with AI is because, and you know, you're you're an old Six Sigma guy, okay? Older, so, are so you focusing on you, older Six Sigma? I don't know which one, you know. I'm saying uh, on the Six Sigma, okay, right? Right, so good, you're, good. Definitely, you're definitely not old, man. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a spring chicken if, you're, if I'm looking in the mirror. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so, but you know, from those types of projects where you go in and you look at a workflow and you go, hey, we're going to go six, six Sigma the shit out of this thing. You know, if you took out like 10% inefficiency or whatever, you'd be like high-fiving across the board, right? Hero. These AI case studies that I'm looking at, right? Uh, I mean, 10% is like, what? I mean, they're starting at like 30, 40. The update I just got from the last case is the first cut was a 40% reduction in effort. It's now 60% reduction. So that's starting to be real already. And when companies, that light bulb starts going off, there are going to be companies that are going to run super fast to that. And, and, And I'll give you, I was doing some research yesterday, again, framing up this paper. And let me just put something on the table here. Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, Google, four leading tech companies whose revenues are all growing. So in 2024, they have, they have more revenues, a lot more revenues than they did two years ago. And all four of those companies have less employees in 2024 than 2022. Google took out 30,000 salespeople because of an AI bot that, that customers can now use. So is that is that trend on headcount, is that all because of AI? You know, that's I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is a new trend in town. 
this decoupling of revenue growth, right? Companies are going to be like, I am going to be growing revenue and I'm going to be shrinking headcount simultaneously, which is something we have never seen at scale in tech. I am nervous about it in the sense that companies really, you know, they've got to scale the mountain without dying. (laughs) But simultaneously, if they don't start this journey up the mountain and you stay a base camper, I mean, I think you're going to drown. The water's going to come over you, right? So it's super interesting times. And anyway, I mean, I, I just want to thank you for coming in today. And I really appreciate the research you're doing on this area because it's so important for the support community and in all the communities within TSIA. So thanks so much for doing that. And I'd like to close here with a question of the day. And I think the question of the day is very simple for all you support organizations. You know, are, are you a base camper or a mountaineer? Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.